What is up, listeners? Welcome back to another episode of the world's number one e-commerce podcast, Modern Commerce. We're on episode 16, and I am your host, Roger Emmer, joined by my co-hosts and co-founders at Remy Labs, Doug Barnett. Hello, hello. And Brant Cho. What up? Brant's a little bit wiser since the last time we recorded. Wiser? Older and wiser. Older and wiser. (laughs) Oh, I see. (laughs) Too bad we didn't record yesterday. For all the fans, just um, email them. It's brant at remylabs.xyz. Let them know that you appreciate them. Happy birthday. (laughs) (laughs) Well, really big week, guys. What, what happened? Are you going to let it sit there? I was wondering how long you were going to let it sit. You know, I just, um, people actually don't know this because I, I make it shorter in post. Every time I say that, I just sit here awkwardly. I don't get anything from you guys. <laughs> so. I Do you think that maybe it's not an us problem, but a you <laughs> problem? Maybe you should come up with a, some, a different phrase that like tees us up because it feels like you're about to give us the big news, yeah. but then you don't. Okay, well, I'll explain the bit later, but, um, you know, it's always a big week here at Remy Labs, right? Yeah. Okay, the caffeine hasn't kicked in yet, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, actually there, has, there was some pretty big news this last week. We're going to jump right into this topic, and I think, you know, everyone's been kind of giving their take on the Figma acquisition by Adobe, but I actually think we're pretty, well, one of us is a little bit uniquely qualified to talk about this having spent some time, um, it's been a little while, but spent some time working for Adobe. So the headline, if you haven't seen it, uh, Figma or Adobe has um, agreed to acquire Figma for $20 billion. And I think there's a $1 billion penalty if it doesn't go through. So pretty big. This is 50 times current revenue. Um, And you know, some of our audience might not be familiar with Figma or why all of a sudden there's this company that's getting bought up by Adobe. And I want to actually ask um, Brant here, just like quickly, what made Figma so popular? Like how did it disrupt the software, (coughs) the design space? Yeah, I think a quick history of specifically doing like web or digital product design when I started, you would use Photoshop and Photoshop's feature set was all aimed at photography and basically it was like a good way to go kind of like mock together what a website could roughly look like, but it was very hard to build something in Photoshop and then translate it into code and have it look the same. Mm-hmm. And they started rolling out um, tools that kind of helped with that over time and kind of jumping forward a little bit came on the scene and sketch was this big huge leap forward in design tooling and basically what they did was pared down uh, the sort of sets of tools you had access to and refined a specific set of them just for like digital design and so to go like one layer deeper here if i'm trying to basically like you know build a layout on a website and have like my text and my pictures and my links kind of all like line up real easily. That was really easy to do in sketch and believe it or not, it was not very simple to do Mm -hmm. in Photoshop or other tooling. Mm -hmm. Um, Or if I wanted to make sure I had like consistent spacing or just like things that like really matter on, on the web. 
And what Figma did was that they came along and they said, hey, we think, I don't know if they said this, but basically they came along and they said, Sketch is interesting, but it's a app you have to download on your computer, yep. the way all design tooling had been mm-hmm. before then. We're going to see if we can do it all in the browser. And the main thing that that allows that is like actually a huge benefit is that there's no files anywhere. Because if you ran a design team, you had this problem where you had like designers, whether they're in the same building or not, would sit and make changes to like a portion of your app or your website or whatever product they were designing. And they had to save all these like different version files and you had yeah. to go sign up for Dropbox and try and get them to sync right. And, um, you know, if you had a large enough team, everyone's files were taking up tons of space on their computer. And it actually was like a significant enough headache where when Figma came out and you logged in for the first time, I remember using it around like 2015, it was immediate. It was like, oh, Hmm. this is the thing. Like, this is obviously the thing. And then they started layering on other tools like that you could collaborate and kind of like see each other's cursors inside the software and leave comments. And it just... Uh, they just kind of like went from there and iterated on top of that foundation and were able to do things that um, Sketch or even Adobe were not able to do very easily on top of their existing foundations. Well, yeah, I I even imagine as as you're collaborating with different people, you sometimes are collaborating and wanting feedback from people who aren't designers. Yeah. So they don't even have to download the app. So the, the file problem's solved. You just log in in the browser. That's solved. Um, and on the technical side, this is built off a standard called WebGL, right? Mm-hmm. And that came out. So Figma started building on this standard like when it was pretty brand new. Yeah, within a year. Yep. Um, and essentially, like, kind of making a pretty big bet that this would be a big thing. You sent us over a video. Maybe we'll link it up in the show notes. But just seeing some of those early demos of Figma, that was that was pretty cool, just to see what it looked like and what it was capable of and kind of how they thought about <clears throat> what they might be able to do with the product. Yep. Um, so it's been a little bit of a, it's been, a, it was a bet on them for them and they've been building for a really long time, but now they have something that's pretty, pretty meaningful. Um, on the pricing side, does, how disruptive was that? Um, Cause it's not very expensive, right? And you can use it for free. Um, just as a viewer or a commenter, can't you? Yeah, I mean, you can use it for free if you're like a single user. They basically just started to layer in the money making if you wanted to collaborate with teams at all. And I think on top of that, they built out like a really nice way to share components and different plugins. Um, but kind of built into a lot of those, you needed to to pay to like collaborate with the team or yeah. Whatnot. So you had a lot of designers start to kind of use it. I mean, I watched this play out actually at, at Podium. We all use Sketch, and some of the designers started to use Figma like independently. Yeah, and they just would like build up things in there on the side, and it just kind of became this moment where like a change had to be made because enough people were using it on the side. That's how you know you have a great piece of software is when your employees are going around your internal tools to use it. In yep. spite of some of the pain that that might, pain in the butt that might be. Yep. 
So Doug, I'm curious on your take on the business side of this thing. They had a really high valuation um, compared to some of the other um, software acquisitions in the past few years. What's your take on why Adobe's doing this? And what do you think? Are they overpaying? Are they underpaying? Is this going to look like Instagram being bought for a billion dollars, you know, 10 years from now? So we went through a similar experience to Figma Adobe at Vivint with Ring. Mm. Um, and things changed with Ring when they got bought by Amazon. But they were really struggling prior to that acquisition financially. They were succeeding as a product company. And I think I can almost visually see what the strategy meetings at Adobe must have looked like as they were watching Figma's ascent. And Canva, I'm, I'm sure, is part of those discussions as well, a very big part. And they went down the road of like, okay, this new Figma thing came out. We have to respond. And they do. They build XD. And, you know, I run a design department. Um, XD is not a good product. It's just not. It's not easy to use. It's, 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 it's not what Figma is. It just isn't. And at some point, I think Adobe had to have a very hard, honest conversation with themselves and say, okay, we didn't pull it off. Um, and the only path left is to purchase or these guys are going to come up the seam <clears throat> on us in a very, very big way. And I think when you get into these M&A discussions, you begin to get to know the people. And I bet when they started to have initial discussions, they started to look at the team at Figma and think about, oh, you know what would be really amazing? If we could have this part and this part and this part of Figma and how they built Figma interact with and help us implement what they did with Figma across the other suite of products that we do make that are very successful that actually Figma has nothing to do with. I mean, Figma is really about product design. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, primarily. Yep. And... And so I think as they've, you know, as you get into those discussions, you probably take a look at yourself and say, okay, one, they are disrupting us. Um, and as they get more money and more resources, they're going to come up in other verticals. And I think we're going to get into Canva a little bit later. But ultimately, the end state for all these product companies is to turn into platforms. And I think Adobe looked at this and said, okay, before Figma becomes a platform that's multi-vertical, we need to pounce. I, I imagine that when they began the discussions, the venture world was in a completely different pay, you know, place than it is today. And had they initiated the discussions with Figma today, they probably don't pay $20 billion. They'd probably pay much less. But they decided to live up to the, live up to the deal. Um, and I think they had to because you can't afford to have Figma get to the place where it becomes a platform or you're in big trouble. And I think they made the decision that all the good things that could come from Figma, from the people they're acquiring, of course, the revenue that's coming, which they're growing very quickly, that there's probably a financial case to be made on both their existing product suite as well as Figma's product suite, that they could go get the return on this investment within five, six years. And they pulled the trigger. So I think that's probably, as I think about the meetings that I've sat in and talked about, when you look at these types of companies that are disrupting you, um, you kind of have to make the decision as to what direction you go. And I imagine, well, very clearly, 
they they decided they needed to pivot away from their original strategy, which is like, we're just going to go crush Figma with XD, and it didn't work. Brent, I don't know how much you want to talk about this. You know, it's been a few years, but you were an employee at Adobe. And sometimes when these, or maybe more often than not, when bigger companies acquire smaller, more innovative companies, it's not good. Like, things are pretty good for the, a couple of years. They tell everyone, we're not going to change anything. It's going to be an independent company. But you look back five years from now and, you know, all of that stuff has changed. What do you think happens? Is this good for Figma? Um, is this good for users? Or is this just going to be a situation where people still use Figma, but they like it less now because of... Um, because of Adobe um, and they're slow, you know, bigger companies are slower to innovate, stuff like that. Um, what's your take there? I think one thing, you know, to, to look at is that one of Adobe's core competencies actually is acquisitions. Hmm. So probably unbeknownst to most people, but Adobe has made 56 acquisitions over the life of their company. In fact, Photoshop was an acquisition. Hmm. Dreamweaver was an acquisition, like almost, I wouldn't say all of their big products, but a lot of their big products were things that they actually acquired. Um, I worked there for a little over two years and we made 10 acquisitions in that time. And I was actually part of some kind of like internal teams outside of marketing whose job was to kind of help bring together everything Mm -hmm. from these companies that were coming in. And so you know, it was along the lines of like, okay, well, this company has their own Salesforce instance and we have one as well. Yep. And so how do we get all the data and deduplicate things where we have similar customers and basically build like one customer profile? And we had to do that across like billing and all these different systems. Pain in the ass, by the way. Yeah, it's it's uh, not fun work. But what I would say is that they have definitely developed, you know, teams inside and um, kind of a muscle memory for a, how to bring in a company and how to have success with it. And it's not that all of them have worked. If you go look at the Wikipedia page of Adobe acquisitions, you'll see some kind of flops in there here and there. Um, but what I would say about Figma, and this is, you know, I don't know anything um, about what they're thinking here. What has changed over the last like six, seven years in software is this sort of like bottoms up sales motion where you're able to have like product led growth, self-serve driven people sign up. And then there's actually a like significantly large revenue path from just doing that. And your sales team is, is pretty small. Adobe's strategy for everything that they've done um, up until the last like four or five, six years from what I can see has been aimed all around like big enterprise sales. And so they've bought companies like um, Omniture was a company I was actually a part of. Um, They bought us and, you know, the whole thing was just like, how do we buy more and more diverse sets of products so that when we go into a Fortune 500 company, we can slap down like a bigger and bigger price ticket and it's this like purchase that a CTO at a fortune company makes and just looks like a genius for making. And, you know, over time, like a lot of the products uh, start to 
start to change, um, and some of them significantly based on how do you make Photoshop talk to like Omniture, or how do you make, um, you know, like we bought a content management system. Like, how do you fit that in with all the creative tooling? And some of those worked well, and some didn't. And what seems to be different is now that there's this product-led growth path, it seems like they're a little less focused on trying to like mesh it into this big, huge suite of products and make like a lot of different connection points. Um, and I think they, they're just looking at Figma as like, you know, can we have basically like this bottoms up growth path that maybe leads into some of the other stuff, but we're not going to like force the issue quite as much as some of the other product offerings that they had in the past. One thing I was thinking about while you were talking about that, this, I'm, I'm curious just quickly to get your take on, on the technical side. And I wonder if maybe this is part of why this is changed, as you say, over the last 10 years or so. I've done, I've been a part of multiple acquisitions as well. Um, different types of companies, consumer-based product companies, and been involved in different type of roles than you have. Um, but, you know, you're dealing with similar types of challenges um, with basically taking this thing that existed independently and trying to make it ex- like coexist or work with this other thing, whether that's people, billing, HR, the product, the manufacturing, whatever it is. Um on the technical side, like how hard is it to just say, okay, Figma and Illustrator now talk to each other. There's like this, this uh, highway between them, so to speak. Um, do the apps get built in such a way where, you know, Illustrator has been in development for 25 years and it's just so hard to do these types of things? Or is that maybe not as challenging as, as I think it might be? I think when Adobe went through the whole creative cloud transformation, they had to build out these sorts of APIs behind the scenes to make the apps talk to each other. Mm -hmm. Um, In fact, I I know that they did. Um, So I I would imagine that it's going to be an easier road to do this type of stuff than even when I was there because some of the apps, you know, that, that we bought they were using like old protocols and old ways of doing things that just largely didn't even exist even back in 2010 anymore. And Mm -hmm. so we were trying to kind of create these data translation layers everywhere to have like an old language talk to a new language. And that can be really challenging. What I think, um, you know, if they wanted two programs to talk to each other, I think where sometimes the challenge can come from is just that when you introduce like a piece of functionality inside of Figma per se, and then you make changes in Illustrator or vice versa, you now kind of have like an anchor that you didn't have before that you have to worry about and can slow you down, slows down innovation. So you have to be really careful about how many different like connection points you actually want to have. The cool thing I think about Figma though is they actually created their own system and marketplace um, and API for creating plugins already. Mm-hmm. It's already mm-hmm. there. And it's like a very vibrant community. And there's a lot of like really useful things there. And so I think, you know, making connection points, I could see them leveraging that existing API and technology to say, add like 
photo editing features yeah. inside of Figma or whatever other kind of like enhanced uh, technology. And, and that is where Adobe, I will say, kind of still has um, IP that is valuable. They have a lot of patents. And so there's actually certain ways of like doing kind of like complex image editing and like all the stuff inside of Photoshop or inside of the video editing software, or whatever that only they can actually do. Mm. Um, and so, some, you know, bringing some of those things into Figma, like I would legitimately like just from a user standpoint. Yeah. All right, Doug, I'm going to ask you to make a call. We're going to keep this permanently on the podcast record. So if you get it wrong, we're going to make fun of you in five years. I'm just kidding. But what do you think happens to Figma just from a product standpoint? Are they going to bundle it in with Creative Cloud? And, you, you know, it's a separate product, but your, your same subscription gets you that for free. They can continue to charge separately for it. What's, uh, what's your prediction? Do you know who the most persuasive group of employees at every company is? Salespeople? Yeah. Do you know what the salespeople are going to want to sell? <laughs> Figma? Figma. It's going to take them some time because salespeople are very persuasive, but they're also very persistent. And at first, um, the Figma team is going to put up a great fight, and then the vesting will be over, and the salespeople will win. That's mm -hmm. what I think will happen. Okay, but do you think they'll win on the merit of, like, so you see this happen a lot where basically um, you don't pay that much more. You pay the same price, but you're getting more value. Yeah. And so so is that what you're saying? Like, Yeah, they're going to they're gonna come back. This is what it's going to look like. They're going to come back from their latest sales call, and they're going to talk to their boss and their manager, and they're going to say this 250 times in a month, and it's going to be a coordinated attack. And they're going to say to their leaders, every single company that we are talking to is asking for Figma. Mm -hmm. Every single one. And if you would just give us Figma, do you know how many more deals we would be closing right now? Yeah, That's what they're going to say. And eventually that that's going to wear the Adobe executives down. And hmm. Seems smart. I would include it if it was me. It will happen. All right, I'm going to move on to the next topic. Kind of, uh, kind of two sides of the same coin here a little bit, and this happened. I think it got overshadowed a little bit by, um, by some of the Figma announcements. But Canva, which is a similar type of product, maybe has a different customer right now, um, and that they, I think they had some kind of event where they kind of announced some of the things that are coming up for Canva, and they introduced a few new things. So first of all, they're introducing docs, documents. So in the demos I've seen, this looks a lot like, more like Notion um, style documents, but uh, you know something where people can go in and, and create Google Docs style docs or um, Microsoft Word style docs or even more sophisticated type of docs like Notion. They also introduced... Um, a web builder, which I, if I'm not mistaken, that's there, that has been there, but they introduced some enhancements. Yep. And then they introduced a new collaborative whiteboarding type products, similar to 
Miro and uh, other type products. I'm going to just talk here for a minute about my impressions of Canva because I've been using it a lot lately, but I am a new user of Canva. I would say I probably downloaded it and started using it maybe two months ago or something. Canva is a product that's basically designed to to allow anyone who knows how to use a computer or a phone be a designer. They have a whole bunch of templates. They pay creators to make templates. There's kind of an economy where people can make money um, creating design files for Canva, but you can make um, social media stories. You can make and edit videos. Like we said, you can do websites. You can do all kinds of different things. Um, And when I first started using Canva, I was actually pretty shocked at how good it was. Um, You know, there are some things that are a little bit frustrating. It's definitely on rails to some degree to kind of prevent people from getting into too much trouble. So if you have more, a little bit more technical experience, that can be frustrating. But you can do so many things inside of Canva. Um, And I think there are two people who are hearing this that are either saying, yeah, duh. Or there's another side that was like me and like, what, what is Canva? Like, I don't, I've never used it before. So that would be my first thing. You should try it if you haven't used it. Um, the other thing that kind of has opened my eyes as I've started using it more is just how many people are using it and how many organizations are, are using it. And you actually can kind of start to see in even ads you see on social or stories or posts, like you can start to see, oh, that was probably designed in Canva. Um, I mentioned it to my wife and she's like, oh yeah, we use Canva. We just have like a district license. My wife is a school counselor. And I said, what do you use it for? And she said, we use it to make presentations. And I was like, hmm, pitch, that's pitch.com. You should maybe be scared. Um, Anyways, so it's this super versatile tool and it really does make it so that even someone with Joker technical skills can churn out something that looks pretty good. Again, similar to Canva, but kind of the, or similar to Figma, but kind of the opposite side of the coin. This is more targeted to a consumer. The other is more targeted um, to to a, a more technical developer and designer type audience. But eventually... If these two companies now, Adobe or Canva, want to continue to take the market, they're probably going to need to start looking at the other side of the coin for each other for each other's business. So, first of all, I'll just I'll say that, um, Brent, what's your take? You probably knew about Canva way before I did. You know about every piece of software when it first comes out. What's your experience as a user and just thoughts on its its products currently? Um, yeah, I think I've, I've, I've used it like, I don't know, maybe three or four times. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think I'm the, the target per se. Um, I've kind of long known how to use Photoshop at a fairly deep level and yep. have, I don't know. I'm, it's just for me to like get exactly what I want and have flexibility at the same time. I'm just kind of going to turn to like design tools, um, what I actually think they're after is less about like Adobe versus Figma versus Canva or like, I I actually don't really look at them even like in that same space to me, 
they're kind of like a modern day Microsoft Office. And they started off with like one product that has kind of filled that same type of space that Office first filled when it came out. Like if you were at a school or whatever, like you had a subscription to Office and you would use like PowerPoint and the clip art library and Microsoft Word and those combinations of things would allow you to like convey your messages to your students or yep. district or whatever. I think Canva is basically just like that Microsoft Office for the the smartphone age. And so to me it makes a lot of sense why they're going now into like the documents and all those types of things, but ultimately they're they want it to work for kind of like the the middle of the bell curve of people that use computers basically like mm-hmm. they don't want to mess with all that stuff and um you know it does lead to some kind of like generic looking design at times the way that like you can kind of go back through time and notice like oh okay this is when everyone used powerpoint 95 and mm-hmm. this is when you know everyone used twitter bootstrap on their website like it, it has a look yeah. to it but I think that that works for, um, honestly, most people and, you know, it's a, it's a value add, especially if you're talking about like a, like a school, I mean, Canva is amazing for something like that. Doug, you were in Canva. Was it the first time you'd used it yesterday? Mm -mm. What, what were you doing in there? Do you remember yesterday? I didn't even know it could do this. I don't remember. You were typing, you had a picture of a groundhog. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, they just rolled it out. They just rolled out an open AI um, picture tool that allows you to to create images from nothing. Um, it's not very good yet, if I'm being honest. Open AI works way better. But um, they rolled that out yesterday or maybe the day before. It's in beta, so it makes sense that it's not very good yet. So, yeah, they've, they've got, it's a very, very broad suite of software and just like you kind of see this happening across basically every major like the the startup finance wars is very very hot right now like mercury ramp brex rippling they're all like coming for each other they're all going basically moving and attacking the same spaces and zoom in this article announces kind of surprisingly, but not surprisingly, because Teams is kind of eating their lunch a little mm-hmm. bit. It's their biggest competitor that they're going to come in on a office-type suite to compete with Microsoft. So if there's so many different verticals for Canva to go attack here um, because they haven't really defined themselves as design-only or productivity-only, they're, they're kind of playing in both playgrounds, kind of like what Brant is saying, like in a Microsoft Office for the smartphone era. Um, and they have a massive revenue number already. So they they kind of don't need anyone else, um, to go be successful. They've got, they've got money, they've got users, they've got freemium product like growth, like what Brent talked about before. So their user, their user acquisition funnel actually, and this is something that, that could be interesting for e-com brands that are listening, go to the Canva homepage and just see what the call to action is because it's unlike pretty much any homepage. They've basically set it up like a search engine, which is a very, very interesting way to onboard someone into your software. And especially as they begin to expand 
the product suite into office type tools or whiteboarding or whatever, um, they've kind of set it up in such a way where they basically they've it's like a the staples easy button, like what Brant was saying. And for most people, having a search bar that they can just go in and they don't really need something to be a hundred percent. They just need it to be ninety percent. And Canva can solve that for a lot of different areas very efficiently um, with the way they've built their software. So they're going to be a force for a really long time. Their headline is, what will you design today on their website? <clears throat> Do you remember, Brent, when it came out, what was their kind of angle? Were they more based around getting institutions to like have branded content? Was it more social media? I don't honestly know. I mean, I, this is just like observational um, takes here, but what I could tell they were aiming at like creators, people on social media. Yeah. And it was like, Hey, here's like a really fast and easy way to make a Instagram post that, you know, looks better than what you could pull off by yourself inside of Adobe's tools. Yep. Yeah. So I would, I would just speak to that a little bit. Um, what has been pretty interesting to me, especially thinking about it through the lens of what we build at Remy, um, our product allows brands and companies to make web pages that you leverage user-generated content, video, images, um, but to do it in such a way where it's it's as, kind of as simple as making like a social media post. It's not like designing a website. So you, you have to design some elements, whether that's video or imagery, and then you basically just load it into our platform and, and we have kind of a sequence that we'll, we'll swipe through similar to TikTok or YouTube um, shorts or, or reels. Doug and I were experimenting yesterday um, with a brand, you know, they already have like a design language for their brand that we were able to kind of lean on. But we spun up a full web page, all the content in about 45 minutes or so. Um, that is super interesting. Like a complete remake. Yeah. And I think that that's going to change a lot as we continue to go, you know, this creator economy, this independent um, influencer type stuff. Those people, a lot of those people are already using this product, but this is just going to open that up to so many more people. It kind of reminds me of like when iMovie came out way back in, in the day. It was like, oh, now everyone can edit their own videos. Well, now that was 20 years ago, 20 some odd years ago, and we have these amazing tools. I've been a Final Cut Pro user for a long time. I think I started learning how to use it in 99. And I still use like a quote unquote real video editor sometimes, but sometimes it's just easier. It's, it's interesting. Sometimes it's easier to use the more advanced software. And sometimes it's just like, it doesn't matter that much. I'm going to throw this in here and it's going to be done. And what I think the non-observant consumer of the content they don't really recognize the difference between something that was made in five minutes in Canva or something that was made in an hour in Illustrator, for example. And so especially, and I think that's even gotten the, the level of polish is being pulled down more and more with 
what we what people consume all day on TikTok, right? Like that's the 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 less polished stuff is kind of what what seems to work really well. So I think we're on definitely a new frontier here for creators. We're here we're here to help build part of that and to help, you know, build um, and allow smaller companies to succeed without large teams. The The question that I want to ask, though, just to kind of bring this back to where I started, does every company in – is basically the end game of all these companies just to have every single product and then, like, lock their, their users into – because hey, we have a we have an, a, a Microsoft account, so now we're going to use Teams. We're not going to buy Slack. Like, is there a way for smaller um, software companies to come up and actually take these people on, um, or is it just like, hey, we're going to spin up something new? Our our hope is that we get acquired by these guys at some point. Doug, you're shaking your head. What do you, what do you got? What's on your mind? There's really two paths. Um, for a small software company that is you survive long enough to become a platform or you get bought by a platform or you go out of business. Those are really the three, the three options. Um, there are very few standalone software companies, single product that last and make it over time because it's very, very, very difficult to win because ultimately if you have a successful product that's high margin, what's going to happen? Margin decrease over time. Competitors are going to come in just like what Canva and Figma have done, and they're going to build something that gets you 90% of what your product does at 100%, and they're also going to throw in value. And every business is trying to save dollars everywhere that they can. And so that's those are the three paths. Um, and this is why you're seeing venture capital follow companies that have foundationally um, a platform uh, future and why Canva got the valuation that it got, why Ramp got the valuation that it got. It, Ramp raised it $8 billion earlier this year, why Rippling raised it $13 billion because these are platform companies and um, that can be multi-vertical, that can compete with the likes of Microsoft or Salesforce or Adobe long-term. And if you can't, your only other hope is to do what Figma did, which is get bought by them before you become the platform. Hmm. It's like one, one like thing to toss in here is like, this isn't purely about greed. Right. This is, if you're a single product company, you know, it could start out in the most wholesome of ways or non-capitalistic ways or however you want to like classify this as, being like good for the world. And as soon as you have any amount of success, like Doug said, you're going to get copied. Yep. And not only are you going to get copied, but likely they're going to be able to discover things that took you a long time to figure out that now they don't have to spend time figuring out. And so like, yeah, there's a first mover advantage sometimes, but oftentimes it's not very helpful. Um, and when you have the people come along and just copy what yep. worked, they can come on with like a cheaper model, faster model, whatever. And, it forces you to continue to grow and continue to diversify. And if you don't like you're sitting there with that group of 
let's just say 30, 40 employees at an early stage startup who all have like grinded and sacrificed a lot and their families are depending on the growth of the company and that's all at risk. And so you have to kind of like look them all in the face regularly and just know that like, you know, we all have to go continue to grow and go to battle because if we don't, we could go out of business eventually. Yep. That's why it's the greatest game in the world. Well, I think the outcome for Figma is amazing. Um, And congrats to those guys. They did build an amazing product. Yep. Basically, I think Adobe saw they... They basically had to make, going back to the valuation, they had to make the offer so good that they just couldn't say no. Like, I'm the founder and I can't look my wife in the eyes that I've sacrificed 10 years for and say, hey, I'm going to turn down, you know, whatever, $3 billion, that's my chunk of the company. Um, The offer was just too good to pass up. Hopefully uh, it leads to good things in the future. And a can of worms we're not going to go into, but just to leave the listeners with something, hopefully... The FTC doesn't get in the way of this and stop it somehow. They just announced yesterday they're looking into the Roomba acquisition from Amazon, and they seem to have some some interesting takes on that sometimes. So, all right, listeners, thanks for joining us for another episode of Modern Commerce, and we'll catch you next week. See ya. See ya. See ya.